This is Cody Broadway, the host of Dying to be Wrong, The Price of COVID Misinformation. This is episode two, From Heroes to Enemies. If you haven't already, I encourage you to go back to the Dying to be Wrong feed to listen to episode one, Personal Responsibility, before you listen to episode two. Yeah, numbers don't do it. I mean, you know, each one of those numbers is a, represents a person, and each one of those persons have somebody that loves them. I mean, you know, you know this, this disease is way worse than the numbers, and unfortunately, we're, we're just keeping score by the people that live or die. We're not looking at the effect on the community. There's, there's a stigma that can come from getting COVID-19, and, and people, at least early on in the pandemic, didn't want to be identified at all because it was some sort of a sign that you did something wrong. I'm Cody Broadway, an NBCLX storyteller. San Angelo, Texas is my hometown, so going home to tell the story was very personal. Over the past year, several family members have contracted COVID-19, and a few friends have died from it. To some, they are just numbers, but to the people that knew and loved them, their deaths are a daily reminder that we are losing this battle a battle not just of biology, but a fight over ideology, values, and what it means to be a community. In many ways, San Angelo is a small town, so why are so many of my neighbors dying to be wrong? And what is the price we pay for COVID misinformation? This is episode two, From Heroes to Enemies. When I touched down at the San Angelo Airport on September 7th, 2021, Tom Green County, where the city is located, had just reported 1,786 active cases, one of the highest active case counts since the beginning of the pandemic. But you wouldn't know that. The annual Taste of San Angelo event was in full swing, indoors, and very few masks to be found. It was the first time for the event to be held in person since 2019. The event is inside the Spur Arena, on the north side of town. On the outside, it's just a tin building. Rodeo events and concerts are often held here. Hundreds of people fill the venue floor while dozens of food vendors serve up samples of their fares to the hungry guest. If not for a few empty booths, you would think the pandemic was long over. Okay, my name is Jack Smith, J-A-C-K-S-M-I-T-H, A-K-A, Marshall Cactus Jack. This is where I met Cactus Jack Smith. We met him in episode one. He's wearing a tan cowboy hat with a Marshall badge clipped to his chest. He explains the values that he thinks make up San Angelo. Honest, we tell it like it is. A handshake is where it is. You don't need a piece of paper. If you tell me something, we shake hands, I believe that. And if I tell you something and we shake hands, you can go to the bank with it. That's our motto. Cactus Jack wasn't the only gunslinger I met that night. Richard Porter wore a black cowboy hat with a matching vest. He too performs reenactments at the local fort. Yeah, with the COVID stuff, they were, first they tried to shut us down a little bit, but you know, they figured out that we ain't gonna be shut down, so we're gonna live our lives. So how did San Angelo get here? Well, to understand that, we need to go back to March of 2020. Asking that everyone use social distancing so you may not sit next to each other. You must have six feet apart, please. It is now 3 p.m. on March the 19th, 2020. We will call this meeting to order. On the afternoon of March 19th, 2020, San Angelo gathered for an in-person emergency city council meeting. Eight of the city leaders sat at the front of the room with Mayor Brenda Gunner 
front and center. We are meeting today to ask for our city council to make some tough decisions as it relates to the health and safety of our community. The local case count at this time was zero, not one single case. But the decisions they made and the decisions made for them would soon change that. I met with the mayor at her old-fashioned American restaurant. There are three main rooms, the front, the back, and the side. We met in the back. She's dressed in all white and has a down-to-earth attitude. So you're the one on the local level that has to stand up there and say, well, Governor Abbott made us do that. I don't want to be thrown under the bus by somebody else, but I also don't like being thrown under the bus by a governor who, when we're the ones here who stand before on a daily basis, interact with the citizens of this city. In fact, you know, it looked like we were going to escape it for quite a while, although, you know, we knew we wouldn't, but... That's Dr. James Verrettis. He's the Tom Green County Health Authority and works in the local ER. As he sits directly across from me in my hotel's conference room, I notice that he's still wearing his medical scrubs. You know, by then we'd already been saying, oh, well, our plan worked, our plan worked, and of course our plan didn't work, and nobody's plan worked. Uh, nobody anywhere was ready for this. Maybe they should have been. In late February, while it was still business as usual for most of the country, Standard Times reporter John Tusk was already reporting on the possibilities of a pandemic and what it might look like for the city. I wrote my very first article about COVID-19 on February 26th, and it was a uh, what if. What if COVID-19 comes to San Angelo? What would that look like? What would happen? Are our local leaders prepared? Are our health officials prepared? And the general consensus was that they were cautiously optimistic. And so one of the officials that I spoke to who uh, worked in our city's emergency department said that we're not a high traffic area. It's probably not going to happen. We're cautiously optimistic. There's a low chance of it happening, but that chance isn't zero. And today we're seeing cases by the hundreds. Dr. Veredis is over here. He might want to offer a few words um, and certainly have an opportunity to ask him some questions. Thank you, Mayor. Um, Dr. Veredis became the medical face of the pandemic, and yet some question his qualifications as chief doc. It's a tactic some are using to downplay the severity of the virus or health orders issued by city officials. It's a losing argument in this case. I'm residency trained and board certified in emergency medicine. I did a critical care fellowship for our critical care medicine, I'm board certified in EMS for emergency medical services. I'm board eligible in disaster medicine. I've been through a master's program at uh, Queen Mary University in trauma science. I just got accepted to a master's program at Queen Mary for tactical medicine. Right now, I'm medical director for San Angelo PD, Tom Green County, Reagan County, Sterling County, Concho County. I'm the physician on Texas Ranger Special Operations Group. Uh, SRT4, going to be the medical director for the Texas Attorney General's office. So I do a lot of tactical medicine. On April 1st, 2020, an emergency city council meeting was held virtually and broadcasted live for the community to watch. On screen are 12 boxes, one for each council member. Council member Tommy Herbert asked the city attorney, Teresa James, for clarifications in regards to golf courses. Anything change with respect to golf courses? Well, what happened yesterday is Dr. Vredis and I, um, we were starting to get these positive cases in, in kids. And so Daniel and the mayor and Dr. Vredis and I had a conversation about how can we manage that 
short term. And so he issued an order that closed all recreational facilities. Um, part of that included golf courses. In the safety of the hotel conference room, Dr. Veretis recalls the challenges of the past 18 months. I've had times where local leaders will tell me in private that we need to do something, whether it's a new order and, and you know, some action needs to be taken, but they don't want to be the one taking that action. It's not that they throw me under the bus because they let me go to the transit authority and pick out the bus I'm going to be under, at least. Uh, they don't like the answers that they get. They, you know, they know the answers are, are the right answers, but they all need to be elected, so they need to be seen reflecting the perceived values of the community. Mayor Gunner. All of us, in some way, I think, did get thrown under the bus, not intentionally, and I, and I say that not intentionally, but when you're in a leadership position, you have to know that sooner or later, somehow, someway, someone's going to throw you under the bus. And perhaps, you know what? Some people think we threw them under the bus. So it works both ways. Didn't start that way. On April 4th, 2020, the local hospital parking lot is jammed with cars and flashing lights. Worship music can be heard from miles away. Residents come together for a public prayer, supporting local healthcare workers. At the time, the local COVID case count is 20 people. But not everyone agreed. The meetup did happen as stay-at-home orders was in place. But at the same time, my phone was blowing up with how dare you let these people get together because we're, you know, they're not in their cars, they are walking around, they're sitting on top of their cars and the cars are not that far apart, etc. So the same moment you're celebrating and trying to support the healthcare workers, you're getting these, these phone calls and, and videos from people who said, how dare you let that happen? How dare you? The mayor leans forward, locking eyes with me. We live in a society where my, husband, my late husband used to say, if you stood on the corner of Fluentes at 12 o'clock noon on a Friday and handed out $100 bills, there would be those people who said, well, why did you do it on Friday? Monday's the day I would go to Fuentes. Why did you give out $100 bills? Why didn't you do it at 2 o'clock? That's when I usually go to lunch. And so you realize today that whatever decision you make, you hope you get 50% support for that decision. We are so split as a society on every issue. The community did rally. We, we wanted to cheer on, well, people in our community wanted to cheer on the doctors and the nurses and the nurse assistants and all the hospital employees that were having to deal with this. Disagreements about the rally aside, that goodwill and community camaraderie shown that night wouldn't last long, nor would the low case count. Cases during that time, on April 4th of 2020, cases in San Angelo uh, were about 20. We had a total of 20 positive cases. Two weeks later, on April 18th, our positive cases had doubled, more than doubled. We were at 41 positive cases. And frontline healthcare workers were now getting a daily reminder about how devastating this virus can be. I've had several friends admitted to the hospital uh, with COVID. I have friends and acquaintances that are in ICU, intubated, on ventilators, who have been in there for weeks that I don't think are going to survive. And you know, 
up till two years ago, they would come to me and say, hey, Jim, what do you think about this? And I'd say, do this, and they'd do that. But somehow, over the last two years, they got to the point that they think what they find on social media is more important or more truthful than what I tell them. You know, I can remember one patient, um, very, a very unique experience. Dr. Norma Cerna sits with me in the hospital conference room. She was able to squeeze me into her busy schedule. The conversation was simple. How have the past 18 months been? She shares a quick story with me that will live with her forever. I've seen her every three or four months for nine years. You know, she would always ask, how are those babies? And she wanted to see pictures of, of, of my, my boys. Um, and so you build these strong relationships with, with patients. And, and um, you know, her daughter called us and, and said she had been diagnosed with COVID. And so we gave all the, you know, all the precautions and things to do and what, sh what she had to do and when to go to the ER and so forth. And, and, um, and she passed away that night. So we see this over and over again, and I, it's very impactful. Tears slowly fall as she shares her story from Dr. Serna's cheek down to her lab coat. Dr. Veredis shares his stress and pressures as the virus and deaths continue to rise in his community. There's a saying in medicine that you know, you're only as good as your last case. And so if you do really great for 43 years and you have one disaster, you're remembered by that disaster. You know, right now my disaster is letting this happen to my city, to my communities. You know, I think again, people are just tired of seeing me. I'm tired of seeing me. Dr. Veredis holds his head up. His eyes begin to water as he fights back emotion. The city was now facing a medical battle like nothing they have ever seen, while fighting another one over politics and the pandemic. I'm NBCLX storyteller Cody Broadway. I hope you enjoyed episode two of Dying to Be Wrong. Here's a preview for episode three. Many of our churches have had an, just an unending stream of funerals. Two days ago on Wednesday, we, uh, we had five families come in and talk to us about doing funerals. And we have uh, one today and three on Saturday and two on Sunday and two or three scheduled for Monday already. I'm afraid that it's gonna be a time when the good people to survive have to do a bad thing. And that's on the Bible, that's on the Bible. Please subscribe now to Dying to be Wrong wherever you listen to podcasts to get automatic downloads of new episodes as soon as they become available. For more, please visit lx.com forward slash dying to be wrong. That's lx.com slash D-Y-I-N-G-T-O-B-E-W-R-O-N-G.